Welcome to another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, I have two new guests to my podcast series. I have Gabe and I have Erica with Imagine. Now, Imagine is it's not new in its existence, but it is new to the Spokane area, correct? That's correct. We met actually a couple of weeks ago. You came in. Actually, it was just last week you came in. Last week. Yeah. So to backstory this, I was here one day and a member from Imagine came in to drop off some information about the fact that you are now in our area. And it was, I was super excited about it. I mean, we have a lot of providers that give us information so we can provide it to our families. But this one really jazzed me because if you are in the Spokane area and you're hearing Imagine, you might think to yourself, oh, wait, we've, I've heard of Imagine, but you haven't. The Imagine that you might be thinking of is a behavioral clinic that closed down actually became Caravel. And this is totally different. You guys are in the mental health field. And so I was super jazzed when I got the information because in my opinion, in Spokane, we do not have enough mental health providers. And so I was super jazzed to then have the opportunity for Gabe to come in because you're the community outreach individual. So you get out there and you touch people, but not anything like in a positive way, in a positive way. But I love the fact that you then you we reached out, you connected with us, you were willing to come in. Funny backstory, everybody. We were getting ready for our junior fire academy that we partner with the Spokane Fire Department. So we were mad at, we were just manic about cutting out all these firemen's hats to prep for this big activity. And as we were talking, we were like, hey, if we give you scissors, would you be willing to cut out some hats? And you guys were such great sports about it. I almost dare say think that it helps because we had a very natural, when you have like an activity that you're doing together, you're like, oh, hey, this is great. We just started chatting like we were old friends as we were cutting out these like firemen, like kid firemen's hat. So you guys were such good sports and you guys did a great job and just powered out a ton of hats. So we just want you guys to know that we appreciate that. That was fun. How many hats do you think we did? Oh my gosh, while we were sitting there, actually in truth, we probably did enough that we could have done the entire event because we, pre-COVID for that particular event, there was about 1,300 kids that would participate in that pre-COVID. And so when we did that event last week, they estimate there was like three to 500 kids that participated. So the numbers are still down. So I think we did a few hundred hats that day. Yeah, because you can cut two at a time or three at a time. So we powered through. In fact, I'm not even sure. We might have gone through our entire stack and we had to print more after you guys left. But like I said, it's kind of funny when you have a little activity that you're working on. The conversation was very natural and organic. And I said, hey, we should do this podcast because I think if we didn't know about you, there's a lot of families that don't know about you. And mental health is something where I feel like it's still stigmatized and there's just not a, a large number of opportunities. And here's my biggest pet peeve. My son has had mental health challenges. And one of my biggest pet peeves is when we were trying to find people to help us, he was too complex for their caseload or I don't have room in my caseload for a child that, that has that type of high level of need. And then where the hell are you supposed to get help? So when I saw your marketing materials. I was like, this is exactly what our community needs. So let's talk a bit about, like I said, you're not new to what you do, but you are new to the Spokane area. So give us a little bit of the backstory about Imagine and how you guys got to Spokane. Absolutely. Love to do that. Can I take a second to just kind of reciprocate the oh. the feeling on, on our visit last? Oh, well, thank you. It was a perfect example. I've had many of these moments recently it, as the community liaison doing outreach where it just seems like areas of my lives are synchronistic. Right. I was a couple of weeks ago that the staff at Imagine, they volunteered to help me with some outreach efforts. And if I'm, I'll throw myself under the bus. I, Isaac Foundation was not on my radar whatsoever. I'll forgive you for that. Because actually it shocks me at how many people have never heard of us. So that's, I'm not surprised. I'm so excited when our team member came back with their information. Oh, fantastic. Well, here's the thing. We need to be out there. That's why I really loved your guys' approach. You're sending people out there, engaging with people that do work in the community around just different spheres. And that was how he happened to walk into the office. So, I mean, and now I really honestly think we're going to be a good referral source. I want to use our podcast to be able to make sure people know that if you have kids or people in your life, young people, because you guys do adolescence, that there are additional resources. And how would that have ever come about had that outreach effort that random. you had? Random. Yeah. It was so good. 
And that was, I'm, it's funny that you said that because before he left, it was like, can I give you some information about the Isaac Foundation? Because we're doing the same thing too, is we want people to know what we do because we want to be a referral source for some of your clients as well. Yeah. I, I mentioned that to, to, like I said, throw myself under the bus because I'm new to this mental health, especially adolescents. I'm back around an adult SUV. And so when I jumped into this particular area, I'm thinking hospital, hospitals, inpatient providers, family counseling clinics. The Imagine staff for a couple of days there was helping me with marketing efforts and the Isaac Foundation was not on my list. And I was pleasantly surprised when Jackson reported back to me after a day of canvassing that he came across you guys. Yeah, I think he said he was in the neighborhood and he saw our building or something. That was the... And he knew what the puzzle piece meant because yeah. he had a friend and a personal connection to autism. Yeah, because he just kind of popped in and he said that he was in the neighborhood connecting with someone else. And so I was like, well, how great is that? I'm glad I changed the sign up, friend. Yeah. <laughs> so he came back. He gave me your business card. He's like, Dave, you got to meet with these guys. That's, and that's how it happened. We just ended up here. And I had already planned to go to this event downtown with firefighters. You know how they advertise events. Oh, oh this fun event downtown. <laughs> <laughs> That was the funny thing is when we were prepping the hats, you're like, oh, we were planning on going to that event this week. And I'm like, how crazy is that? So it was funny because you got to meet my husband, too, because you've had the kids there. And I was like, remember that meeting I had? It's just funny how all of it spoke. It's small Spokane. And yet it shocks me how often we hear from family is that, oh, my child was diagnosed four years ago. And and it's like, oh, you're just now hearing about us. And it's like, yes. And it's, oh man, like, what are we doing wrong that it's taking that long for people to find out about us as a resource, which is why I love part of the platform of our podcast is that we can invite people in, talk about what you're doing. So then, then families know about it. And then hopefully we start creating more awareness so people can find you sooner. So I love that. Yeah. So it was neat. It was neat how the several areas of my life all came to Yes. And you, and it turns out you're a great volunteer too. So we're going to keep you and put you to work whenever possible. So keep coming in and visiting. I'm sure we'll have additional little projects you can do here and there for us. Absolutely. With as much effort as I put into kind of planning out my day and my week, it seems like every day is an adventure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that I'm kind of being guided by something out Mm -hmm. there to just like, nope, you're supposed to be here now. Now you're supposed to be here instead of me trying to run the show. I actually believe that because now you and I have gotten connected and I do, I I am seeing a lot of the different things that you guys are doing in the community. And it's interesting how when you get out there and you start talking to people and more people and you're networking with other agencies, how many opportunities then you have available because you guys are doing a few very cool things that are coming up in the community. We'll talk about that in a little bit because I want to make sure people know what's coming up. Um, Tyler, producer Tyler, is going to get this edited quickly because isn't one coming up next week? Tuesday. Ready about let's meet school. Yeah. So we'll talk about that here in a little bit. First, let's talk about how you guys got to Spokane because you're not new to what your expertise is, but you're new to the Spokane area. Right. So our our parent company is North Point and their headquartered the corporate office is down in Boise. And that's primarily adult Asudia. We have c- true cold current. So we have a hospital. It's detox and inpatient. And from there, the adults can branch out in two directions. They can either go SE primary or they can go mental health primary for outpatient services. And so for people that don't know what that acronym means, can you? Sorry. It's all right. SUD, uh, substance use disorder. Okay, yep. perfect. So that's kind of how the footprint landed in, in the Northwest. And then we've branched out maybe between two and three years ago to offer adolescent services, hence the Imagine brands. And they started down in Boise, and I think it took off quicker than anybody was expected. I don't doubt it. One location to three, very fast. So they said, well, let's try it in Washington, because we also have a North Point to over Edmonds. So they put an Imagine in Bellevue, which is close by, and that filled up really quickly. Spokane is been- And is your location over on the west side of the state, is that also adults? Yeah. So okay. it's North Point, adults. Okay. Inpatients. Detox and inpatient, and then there's outpatient as well. And like I said, there are two tracks there. You can either go with the substance use disorder route or mental health route, whichever one is presented as primary. Gotcha. And then there's an imagine and belt. So Spokane doesn't quite split the geographical distance, but in terms of you know, population density, it's in the middle of those two. Yeah. And so we can start our imagine out in the valley on Freud's 
just last month. So you guys are that new to the area. Now, when we talk about mental health, I have to imagine that right now you, we talked, I asked that question last week, what's your wait list look like? And currently right now you don't necessarily have a wait list. You're assessing and then plugging the the adolescents into the appropriate. Now, and are you in Spokane just working on the mental health or is there the element of substance use? That's a great question. So we are licensed for both. Okay. For a kiddo or an adolescent to be a good fit with our program, mental health has to be presenting as primary. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they can't have co-occurring issues. Really what we're looking through to help with is when health struggles. Yes. So if somebody is requiring detox, there are certain substances that can be very risky. They try to detox at home. Yeah. And or try to detox while you're in an outpatient program like Imagine. We're just not going to. We're not going to try to squeeze people in and put them at risk in any way. So they've got to address those issues first. Mm-hmm. Alcohol would be one of them. Mm-hmm. It's high risk to try to detox from alcohol outside of medical support. Interesting. Or another. Interesting. I honestly did not know that. I do know like with, I had a family member that had a substance addiction and we took them to a detox facility and then immediately first thing that they did was do testing because they needed to know what chemicals they were then detoxing because it's very different. And I never actually thought about alcohol as one of the ones that actually needs special consideration. So that's actually something that's. You're not alone in that. And here's my opportunity to get vulnerable. Okay. I'll deal with this and it may or may not be included in my podcast, but I am a recovering alcoholic and I didn't know. My family didn't know. Nobody yeah. had any idea that it was potentially right split. Yeah. There was, this was almost a decade ago, but in my twenties thinking, well, maybe this lifestyle isn't sustainable. And, uh, I decided to put down the drink cause that was a big part of my life. I was a musician over in Portland and working in a restaurant, going to college, pretty typical lifestyle, I would say. And when I stopped drinking, that's when problems happened. When I was drinking, function, mm-hmm. the job a secure place to live. I had people who cared about me. It's not like I drove my life into the ground. Mm-hmm. Rel- relatively speaking, yeah. we all have this image of what does an alcoholic look like? Yeah. At least for me, 10 years ago, it was like somebody under a bridge just lost everything. And to some extent I did, and we don't have to digress too far. But the point I'm trying to make is when I put the alcohol down is when I ended up being hospitalized. And it wasn't just once, it was several occasions. Ended up in a psych ward having seizures. Really? And I was lucky to escape that because nobody knew what they were doing. Turns out you need a tapered medication like Librium. Yeah. To keep the seizures at bay while the alcohol is in your system and your body is stabilized. A lot of people don't know that. No. I just had a friend last year who died trying to trying to touch some alcohol. Oh my gosh. This is such valuable information. Like I have goosebumps just listening to this because I had no idea. And I'm sure if I had no idea, then parents had no idea either. I think it's really profound. What you said is that sometimes like in your instance here in Spokane, mental health has to be the primary source of needing services through your agency. But let's be real. I feel like when you have start using substances, it's because at least in my child's world is that he was trying to control the mental health problems and trauma that he was just not able to make sense of. So he was trying to find chemicals that would help him so that he didn't have to deal with some of those things because he didn't know how to. They're big, they're scary. Nobody his age understood. So it's interesting that it's sometimes it's hard to really separate which one is the primary, but usually, I mean, you have to have counseling. Anytime you have a substance use issue, you it has to be coupled with counseling, counseling, counseling and support in order to be successful and a support system. Uh, our, we've been talking so much as an organization about our mission and our mission is one connection at a time. We're, we're touching those touched by autism, not w- those that are personally impacted by autism because it's a diagnosis, but parents, siblings, grandparents, community members are also touched by autism, but we're doing that one connection at a time. And one of the things that I think the foundational and one of the reasons our secret sauce, if you will, that we are successful at the Isaac Foundation is that we really, the connections are what are important because it helps build strength. And it also helps build resiliency. 
And when you look at those elements of it, I think you can say that when you're going through mental health crises, when you're going, when you have substance, you have to have a network of people that are there to support you. And that's that connection piece. The connection piece is really important. And so I think, so I'm again, I'm so glad that we're now connected with you because I think that we all have to become connected together if we're really going to make some progress in these really critical areas. And mental health is an area where I think we, I know is underserved here in SoCan. So that's why I'm so thrilled that you guys are here. And I fully suspect that you're going to be getting more and more referrals, more people as people learn more about what you guys do. So can we talk a little bit about what Imagine does and what that looks like? Because it is outpatient work. So the kids get to go home. Because when we were trying to find a program for my son, one of the challenges was he was so terrified about going inpatient because he didn't want to be away from his family. Because while he was angry at his mom and hated some of the people. He says he hated some of the people in his family. He wa- he didn't want to be away from us because we were his rock to a certain degree. So he was very resistant about an inpatient program. And so then trying to find outpatient programs that could support him because he has some mental health issues was very, very, very difficult. And so let's talk a little bit because I think to myself, oh, man, if you guys had been around in 2020 when we were going through this crisis, it was the most terrible. That's why I have so much gray hair. Let's be real. I quit dyeing my hair in 2020 because I figured, well, I got to give up this ghost. And so I am very, very white. And the big joke is, is that I've earned all of my white hairs because of wonderful experiences in my life that have made me a better person. And I wouldn't change any of those, but boy, howdy, it's scary. You love your kids so much and you wish you could take away their struggles and their challenges. And we, I don't have the skills. I am not a mental health professional. So I, I want you to talk about kind of how your platform works. It's technically outpatient, which I think for some families are going to be like, yes, this is so your kids get to go come home at night. So would you mind just talking a little bit about how it all works? Absolutely. And I want to be conscientious and not hog the microphone, Erica. Erica, you're so quiet. And I can talk about that so You're not there the day. Perfect. Yes, because you're a counselor. Yeah. So our program um, runs from 9 to 3.30. So like a school day. Like a school day. We have several groups throughout the day. One group will always be directed about safety. And the kids also have a about an hour and a half of school. We'll have a lunch break. That's our, about our day. We try to keep them busy with groups, also individual counseling as well. Offered throughout each week to each individual. How many staff do you guys have then? So on site, we have a site ARNP, Advanced Registered First Practitioner. It's a mouthful. I don't want to overpromise, underdeliver. We don't have an RN currently, but we're at hopefully the final stages of hiring one. And then we have two case managers. We have one clinician, Erica, who's on site right now, and we're hiring another one. We have a care coordinator, which is Rebecca. She's at the front desk there. She coordinates with the families, the missions, and me. And, and how long is the program? So when someone begins the program, how many weeks is the program? It is five Five weeks. Okay. It was designed to be five weeks, but it's not a cookie cutter program. So if somebody's really excelling and adhering to the programming, then, you know, PHP can be as short as two weeks. Okay. But the, it's designed to be about five, give or take. And then we have a step down. So IOP, intensive outpatient, is what follows. And that's designed to be about eight weeks. Okay. But again, if things happen, life happens, our mental health isn't a linear journey. That's the problem. It's not a, here's the beginning, here's the end, and you're good. It's a real, it ebbs and flows and curves. And so what happens if you feel like at the end of five weeks, perhaps a teen isn't ready to do, is there any opportunities to extend that case-by-case basis? Okay. If they're adhering and they're invested in the product, because that's the other hard part. I've said this probably a thousand times, where you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And that was really until my kiddo got to the point where he wanted to actually take it serious and to with his substance use and order. And I, I would say that I, the mental health piece is always a work in progress. You have to be invested in your, where you're heading. 
And that's so you have to be invested in it. But if you if there is a case by case basis, there is the option of extending. If you see progress, we're now invested. It was a rough start, but maybe we're making the progress we want. We have some opportunity to extend the program beyond the five weeks. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I really appreciate about our program. We are not worried about like getting the most kids in the program. We're worried about who's the best fit for our program and who's actually going to finish it from that program, and, uh, actually providing them the skills to be successful in their life. So what would be considered a good fit? So there are a couple of ways to look at it. Referral sources, the obvious one is in pitch, like places like that, in the most wise behavioral health. If somebody's been experiencing pretty significant suicidal ideation, to the point where that's maybe an attempt or a plan, then typically they're going to have an inpatient state somewhere. And we would like to be the, the next step down from that. But the other angle we're taking with it is we, cause sometimes inpatient states can be traumatic in their own yeah. way. Yeah. It's not to say that those services aren't absolutely necessary for our community as they are. Yeah. But wherever clinically possible, we want to be an option for those kiddos to stabilize in the PHP setting. And hopefully avoid the inpatient stay. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I've had a couple of my close friends reach out to me because you just, I'm pretty open and transparent about our personal challenges. Not everyone is as comfortable talking about the fact that you have a teen that's in crisis. And it's just it's because the stigma that's associated with mental health and somehow that must equate that I'm a crappy parent. And Part of me talking to people was because I was so desperate to find help. Who Anybody know anyone that can help us find a provider? Because we were getting the, oh, too complex or suicidal, and that's not my area of expertise. Well, who is? And then they send you to, here's a number, and then you call and you never hear <laughs> anything back. And I'm like, how? how is this possible? Where, I mean, a suicide ideation is something that I feel like needs an immediate response. And I know now we have the 811 but again, oh, that was such a dark time. And so I was pretty open because I was, again, when you were desperate, I will turn over any rock possible to try and find a resource. So I've had a couple of friends that have reached out because they maybe remembered that period of time and, hey, who do you know that might be able to help? And the, the thing that's interesting about it is, is I think that when the teen is saying, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt myself. And then, you know, how it works is you go to the hospital and they're like waiting for potentially three days to find a bed somewhere for an inpatient opportunity. And a lot of times by then their mind shift is switched. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I just want to go home because they don't want to be in that environment because they're not getting the help necessarily that they need in an optimum way. Then it's like, I'm fine. And it's like, oh, we're not fine. But it's then they you're sent home and away we go because there's like a three-day hold. And and so it's this vicious cycle of you're not really getting the help that you need. And then there also is the limitations with obviously insurance because with one particular friend, here's our insurance and nobody wants to take it. And we've gone to this place and it was not a good fit. And so we that's the only place they're offering us. Like, what do we do? As I don't know, have you, I mean, that's got to be something that you have to experience. And I hope that you're contracted through a lot of contractors. There are some limitations. Is there any hope for families that are in that boat or any words of encouragement or things that you could recommend to help in that, in that vicious cycle? Absolutely. I feel like we need to like take a break every maybe 30 seconds so I can address some of the things you're talking Oh, okay. <laughs> I want to talk about all the Okay, well, let's back up. Pick a point and let's do it. Well, let's start with the one most recently, insurances. Yeah. That's actually one of my favorite parts about our program. We are in network with just about all the major insurance companies. Kaiser, I think we're all kind of familiar vocally. That's a little bit more difficult. We'll yes. certainly work with the PPO. I know. It's... <sighs> Before Kaiser was Kaiser, it was called group health. I used to refer to it as group death because honestly, it is so fresh. It's such a frustrating network. I understand the premises of it, but still, it is so limiting and frustrating to have to navigate that. It can feel a little exclusive at times. Yeah. Like you don't, oh, I don't. In crowd. Yeah. That's a form of Kaiser person. Oh. <laughs> After being out of the Kaiser network, it's so, it's so different and so liberate oh it's challenging it's more challenging than i've oh because it makes it easy 
you're saying? Or what's your end? Your end. And I watch your end to it. Uh, 26 years. Really? So that is actually a very good perspective. I was not part of that community. Then was thrown into the deep end of the pool. And I'm like, what in the heck is happening here? And it was not a smooth transition for me. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, it's not a knock on Kaiser. No. It's just a reality of the situation. It's, yeah. I mean, there's so many benefits of it. Realities in in the insurance world. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why in the autism community, Kaiser Permanente, the challenge is you have a limited number of providers within that network that we can use. And so in autism world, it's like, oh, Kaiser. Yeah, it's more limiting. They used to be more open about, hey, we don't can't meet that need. We're going to go ahead and refer out of the network. But now they're doing so it's much they want to keep everything in network. And so some of our doctors that were allowed are no longer, which is a big bummer for families because now they're like, but I've had this doctor for eight years and now you're telling me I can't see this person anymore. And it just breaks my heart. I wish that insurance and I understand the conundrum of insurance and why things are structured the way they are. But it's just when you love these little people so much, you want everything that you can possibly potentially access. And sometimes that's not always a possibility because of insurance. Well, and for those who may be listening who aren't kind of privy to the ins and outs of insurance, you you can have two different kinds of plans. You can have a PPO, which is out of network. You can see out of network providers using your Kaiser insurance. And that's one that we work with for sure. The majority of Kaiser plans are HMO. So you have to be a preferred provider. And that's kind of that selective list we're talking about. However, in the state of Washington with PHV, which is one level of care in our program, it's a pretty limited offering. And one of the things we can use to bargain with is the fact that there's no other provider nearby who's doing what we do. Correct. In which case, Kaiser is pretty understanding and will grant what's called a single case agreement. Yes. FCA for sure. So you get those in-network benefits with your PPO all-network Kaiser plan. I know that's kind of a lot. No, but it's actually a really good explanation. The next time I do a podcast on insurance, understanding your insurance, I'm just going to call you because that was a great explanation. I'll have you do it again. No, that's a great explanation of that. Can we talk about the levels of care? Just so that's a little bit. Yeah, I think we should. Can we Can we just finish the insurance? Absolutely. A huge amount of people listening, I would guess, who are on Medicaid. Yes. Oh, about you're so right. That is a good one. Okay. There in the state of Washington, it's probably more complex than any other state. There are a variety of different Medicaid plans yeah. that people can find. And the idea is that you can find a plan that's catered to your specific needs or the family's needs, but it can be a really convoluted process. A lot of people don't have the time to really understand what plans offer what. And so a lot of times you'll find yourself in a position where you have one type of Medicaid plan and you need this type of service, but they only cover that type of Medicaid plan. If that makes sense. Yeah. Imagine is really great and that we accept most to Medicaid plans. Gotcha. So for anybody listening, Community Health Plan of Washington, we, we have piloted over on the West side and been successful over here with getting single case agreements. Molina, United, Coordinated Care, all of those, same story. And we just did a single case agreement for an air group. Really? Oh, okay. So, well, actually, let me take a step back. Just did a single case agreement and we're scheduling an assessment for somebody with an air group. Perfect. Now, I made that mistake because one of our kiddos we adopted and he has state insurance. And that was one of the wonderful benefits of, of having him. But we made the mistake because it was a mirror group and I didn't know any different because I've never had a child that we never qualified for those medical opportunities until my son Trevor came into our life. And so that's Amerigroup was the one that I found. I, that was when my eyes were open about the different groups and doing more research. So if you are a family that is using one of the state plans, yeah, definitely you got to do a little bit of homework. And I would say in Spokane, the Amerigroup one is the, a little bit more challenging, especially when you have kids that need more specialized services. It's more limiting. So we switch over to Molina. And so that was, it's, it, it's so simple. It was like, line, you, go click. you literally, yes, you go online, you, you log in and you literally click a button. That's all it took. And then you just wait and you get a new piece of paper in the mail saying, here's your Molina number. And you're like, wow, that was. Follow up with them. Like with a phone call, you can have that change effective. Oh yeah. They actually. To the first of following month. Yes. And actually I did call somebody cause I thought it was gonna be much more hard, difficult. And so then she talked me through it. And so 
did it, but she was on the phone with me and she made it instantaneous so we could get him to the provider that he needed to be seen with. But again, it's all the things you don't know because you don't know. No one tells you these little things. What a good benefit. I'm so glad that you brought that up because uh, a lot of our families are on state, have different state insurance plans. And so it's nice to know kind of the difference between them. One of the other things I wanted to talk about yes. was when we don't know who to call and we're desperate to find in crisis, like get to the right person. Typically speaking, if you call any behavioral health agency and has to speak to their cleaning liaison, liaison or outreach specialist or whoever, the people, there are people like me out in the community who are coordinating with each other. And that's what we do all day, every day is we try to find somebody, whether we're the first call or the 10th phone call to get that appropriate fit and appropriate placement. Where were you? I say I have goosebumps again. Look, can you see my goosebumps? Like I'm literally, I wish that this information was out there somewhere because it is the most terrifying period of my life and you feel so alone. And that's the, I talk about connections, connections. When you are in, it's like being in a rowboat in the dark, not knowing which way you're paddling is really the only way I could describe that hopeless feeling of you love this person so much and you don't have any idea where you're rowing. If you keep rowing, you're going to find land or when you do find land, is this person going to be able to help you or do they send you back into the great unknown in the dark where you're back paddling and not knowing what the end result's going to be? So this is where I really hope that people that are listening are feeling encouraged and are getting some value out of what we're talking about today, because I think already we're just 20 minutes into the podcast and we I feel like a lot of great information. Erica, you were talking about the levels of care. Is that what you mentioned? Okay. Can we talk about that? So there are levels of care. Just mean that there's levels of care for each person from severe to minor. So within mental health, the top being inpatient, Locally, that would be PCCA for adolescents or INDH for adults. And they are going to do the stabilization process. There is also like residential treatment as well that is inpatient. And those are those like the places you can't come home from. You're going to be there for a couple of days, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple of months, depending on what you need. Then after you complete that, you usually go to a PHP program like ours for it's partial, partial hospitalization. Well, because you're there from the nine to three and then you get to go home and still be part of your family. Yeah. So we're there to offer that support through the day to be, help teach those skills so that you're able to go home and practice them and hopefully feel better. After PHP is IOP, which is intensive outpatient. So, and what's the period of time that your program allows for that? Is that just the case by case basis, depending on like the switch from? Yeah. So, switch from being the partial where you're doing the nine to three, then it's the intensive outpatient. So, you're basically, you're not part of that. You're not coming in from the nine to three segment of time. That's where you're just doing regular visits three times three times a week three times a week for two hours okay and what's that length of time is there a definitive time where we do this for six or eight weeks or um our program is set out for six to eight. Oh, okay. oh wow look at me it's like got it apparently um, so after you complete php you would go to automatically go to graduate and go to um iop if do the services gotcha and then after IOP is regular outpatient, so your normal therapist weekly appointment, there's, there could also be some intensive outpatient within that world as well. So you might have a little bit more visits or contact with a case management or a therapist. That's all the way. Did you talk about outpatient? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. So I went, there's only four. Okay. No, but that's actually helpful to know kind of like what that, the the transition between the phases look like. So you kind of know what to expect. And then I can talk about what each kid at each level kind of. Perfect. So what you were talking about, talking, transitioning and talking about kids at each, like what, what each level of. 
Perfect. I love that. Let's do that. A kit that would be appropriate for inpatient would be just attempted a suicide or contemplating, made a note, any kind of gestures like that. Maybe have talked to their friends about it. Just someone who's actively thinking about suicide or harming someone else. So that's also an important piece that's also about safety as well. So we want to keep that in mind. Next level of care would be PT, would be the kids that have stabilized a little bit. They're not actively suicidal. They might have some pacifists. They're still thinking about suicide, but they're not actively making plans. Trying to manage those emotions a little bit better, maybe still harboring some feelings of harming others, but no active plan. Or they have a specific person that is safe from harm, and we're trying to manage that anger. I just have to say, I'm going to pause for one second and just tell you that as you're describing that. I see like just that normalization of like, oh, my goodness, like there are other people in the world that are having these types of things happening in their life. Just for me as a parent, it's just kind of like. (sighs) And the fact that there's programs and there's services around helping them work through those types of feelings and thoughts. I just could kiss you guys right now. Like, truly. I mean, this is it's it's just good to know that you're not that this is like the little like light in the horizon of like there's other people you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i appreciate you describing kind of what that might look like because i think as parents are listening to this they're like that sounds like what we're dealing with here and you're telling me there's help yeah absolutely imagine participating in all that stuff that's really called healing washington it was hosted by chelsea Welding with Charlie Health, Jamie Valdez. There were 13 agencies on with a hundred providers in the audience myself. And one of the, one of the statistics that stood out to me was from a guy named Cord. That's beyond, beyond behavioral health. Four and six, upwards of 46 of people are struggling. Yeah. And yet it's still so stigmatized right now. And it's there's just not enough services for the number of people that really need to make. I mean, another phone call I get all the time is, is that my child needs a counselor just for feelings of anxiety and overwhelm. And just trying to find a counselor that can talk to a young person about just that segment of just needing someone to talk to and having strategies to help them manage debilitating anxiety is still is overwhelming it's a wait list for everything and so it's good so you're not alone that what we really need is we need more providers like you guys coming on scene into our community that can help us make a difference in these kids' life. So that's so wonderful. So I don't want to cut you off, Erica, because you were, were doing so well I think painting the picture of what that could look like. So keep going. Oh, you were doing the inpatient, talking about the kids that might benefit or be fits for that program. So then also kids that are dealing with severe anxiety that's, that might be well, but kind of anyone that's really suffering and some extra support if they're not feeling safe at their environment. Yeah. And then the next level of care after that is IMT. So they're feeling a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more safe, probably able to use coping skills, but still have had some challenges in the past. Um, not currently suicidal. Should be having even less suicidal ideas. Should be pretty safe. What I forgot in all of this helps work. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, How did I even forget about that part? Because that is a real thing that our families have really been vulnerable and mentioned about the self-harm. Yeah. Just because a child is self-harming doesn't mean they're suicidal. But it is something that we deal with with kids that are experiencing with suicide. 
all those things. Might have somebody that has been experiencing cunning that is in all of these levels of care, but in IOP specifically, I'm thinking that the cutting behavior has either stopped or is reduced significantly. Those are the things that we're looking for in IOP. An outpatient kiddo might just be having some anxiety, some depression, nothing major. So maybe some suicidal thoughts, but no plans. Has told their counselor in making safety and following through with the appropriate kids. The cutting might. And that's where you know, the counselor would determine as they need a higher level of cert because that your counselor can't keep you safe. Yeah. 24 hours a day. That's not their job. Yeah. So maybe yeah. for a uh, more contact that in IOP or CHP, yeah. if it's about that you're suicidal, actively suicidal, making sense and inpatient would be your best. Best vaccine. Yeah. Hmm. There's so much. Did we talk about your age range that you're serving? We did. No, I don't think we did. So the, tell us about the ages that you work with. We work with kiddos from age 12 to 17. The 12 are kind of a special case here in Washington because of... Age of consent. Age of consent. There we yeah. go. I wanted to say confidentiality. Yes. That's not right. But it kind of goes hand in hand with that. Yes, where I'm getting close to that transition myself with my youngest daughter. So so 12 is the is case by case. Yeah. 12 is case by case and 13 on up. Well, pigs on I want to talk a little bit about some of the things you've been out there actively networking with other agencies and connecting. You mentioned that this last Tuesday, was it Tuesday, that you were a part of that Prevent Suicide Can Coalition? Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that was and kind of the benefit of having the group of people together and having conversation and then some of the other upcoming things, because you have some upcoming things that are very cool. Yeah. So, and I mean, just to dovetail off of what I said before, that's why it's important to ask for the right person. So we're all out there talking to each other and figuring out what levels of care are offered at what programs and for what insurances. And although I wouldn't say that any of us have it a hundred percent down, it's helpful to have one of those guiding a journey. And we're all committed to the cause. It's not just about getting people into our program, right? It's about getting them into the right program. Yeah. Tuesday was because I know you were nervous about it when we you were here last week volunteering and you had said, oh, gosh, I should be good to do a podcast on Friday if I haven't died. Because uh, you were, I think yeah, you were like, I'm like kind of thinking I'm super stressed out about the event on Tuesday. <laughs> so I'm glad you survived. But tell us about what that was. Happy to be here. Yeah. Be alive. Alive. Yes. It didn't kill you and it made you stronger, I'm hoping. Yeah. So it was a room of about 20 people. There are are probably closer to 70 or 80 that are involved with that coalition. It's just not everybody can make it every month. And it's only the first or second time back since our meeting virtually because of COVID. And I knew, I'll just put that out there. I'm new to the coalition, but I anticipate as we continue to meet, there'll be more and more people there. So I was actually kind of happy to see only 20. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I planned something that was going to expose me as I'm going to be a little more vulnerable than I usually show myself because I'm passionate. Yeah. And in a meeting such as that, where different providers are throwing out like the, you know, the upcoming events and insurances and just like fact after fact after fact, furiously writing things down, trying to keep track of it all. I wanted to slow it down. So I even turned off the lights. And this was after the portion where I shared about Imagine's program and all the things. And I have a couple minutes to try and do something different. And so I turned off the lights and I, I gave a narrative of a child's upbringing. And although I didn't disclose at that meeting, it was this child here, me. And so that, as much as I tried to just do it straight faced, I could. Yeah. My voice was shaking and it wasn't perfect by any means, but. One of the things I've come to find out is that for me, a, 
I've kind of always struggled with my mental health. There's always been a you know, hum of anxiety in the background. And that sometimes it's been more acute to, you know, the point where I need to address it with some outside help. But generally speaking, it's just something that I never quite feel 100% comfortable with skin. And that started from her. Yeah. My parents, wonderful upbringing in most respects, but a lot of love in my household. I experienced it individually to both of my parents. And my parents were separated several times in my upbringing. And the first time was when I was six. And for a six-year-old, it's tough to wrap your head around what that means. To me, one day my dad was gone. And I rationalized that by believing he was dead. And that's kind of that, my earliest memory of that. And my uncertainty in my surroundings. So anyway, I shared the story with that group of individuals. And I think it was effective. There was one woman crying in the back and going to that woman. But it probably, it relate. Yeah, exactly. It hit home. And there was that connection of that you were being vulnerable. And it really touched her in a place where... That's where the emotions comes. That's why, I mean, I get goosebumps just talking about a lot of these things because it really speaks to my heart because it's like, I can feel, I, I relate to that so deeply. So when talk about finding in the unconventional way, the community partners that I really want to be connecting with. She's the founder of Sales Safe for Life. Her life is touched by suits and her brothers. Although my upbringing was nowhere near as tragic as some of the stories we can hear. It's a good example of how it affects not just one type of family, but also. But I also think, T, you can't minimize what is traumatic and what has impacts you throughout the span of a life. Like when we look at my family, believe it or not, it's it's not my child's struggle with his mental health and, and, ish, and, and challenges is not related to the fact that his brother passed away and we started the Isaac Foundation. And you know what I'm saying? And that's the thing is, is that it can be to each person, those challenges look a little bit different. And you can't say that, oh, well, geez, get over it, move on. It wasn't that bad. You had parents that loved you, like the one up, like just be glad, be grateful that you had two parents that loved you because I never, you know what I'm saying? So there's that whole trauma is trauma and how you you the trauma occurs and how you're making sense of the trauma or not making sense of that traumatic event in your life that's the thing through all of this you know just finding out that the trauma that i thought it was was not actually the, the actual piece of trauma that has caused some of the biggest stumbles in my children's life and so that is a really eye-opening because to me, in, in my mind, I'm like the most traumatic thing you could ever have is a loved one dying or, but it's not. And you can't minimize those experiences, traumatic experiences for people because they're profound. That's actually one of our modules that we teach the kids about trauma and how it can be people, each person, and to minimize other people's trauma. To be, be compassionate to themselves. Yes. Compassionate to yourself. That is really, I didn't actually start showing myself any compassion until I crossed the age of 40, which is so sad. You know what I mean? But it's, I also think that when you have a, a child or loved one in your life that's struggling, and if you really engage in family counseling, it is really, really helpful for everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's where healing happens, you getting in touch with your own trauma. And what you're, you, you know, how you're perceiving other people's trauma or sources of trauma. It's just been, there's a lot of eye-opening opportunities and work that can be had for an entire family if you engage in the therapy process as a family. Because it really is some, it's individual work, but there is some group work that has to be done too. Absolutely. I think that's, I know that's one of the goals of what we're hoping to accomplish here in the community is really other than crisis stabilization wherever possible. So when I think back on my own personal experience and not to make it about me, but what I hope to achieve with Imagine is that we destigmatize and we accept that sometimes it is a good idea to pluck essentially the child out of the environment and put them into a different one for a little bit. I think that would have been really beneficial for me growing up because a lot of my trauma went unattended. And here I am in my 20s, my late 20s, and I'm struggling with a substance use disorder and just destroying my life when it could have been mitigated far sooner with some healthy family support. Yeah. And it's not just the identified patient that is the support. It's the entire thing. Well, and I'm going to be honest is that 
sometimes a parent's natural parenting strategy or approach is not. Mm. It's counterintuitive to what the need is. Oh, and, and they have the best of intentions. Yes, it's because it's from love. But also, too, is, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. My childhood was pretty uh, interesting. And so I oftentimes, I, I joke now, but I was do, I was parenting off the what not to do list because I figured that, well, I can tell you what not to do because that was my childhood. So I'm going to parent off of the what not to do list. And again, counterintuitive to some of the needs there, but you don't know any different until someone sits down through some of this family counseling about why best of intentions. And in some for some kids, that would be the perfect approach. But here's you know where we're at. And it was just it's very eye opening, I think, through all of it. It can be really challenging for parents to <laughs> what they're doing. Oh, and we're, yes, that you're making things more challenging because here it's like, what? wait, I'm here to fix it, right? Because I'm a parent, I'm the mom, I'm supposed to be fixing it. And you're just like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. Through all things, like I said, growth happens. And I'm certainly not, I'm not a master at it. I'm still learning uh, every day. But we need to, as parents, we need to give each other grace, give our, ourselves grace. Yeah. Because I, I'm noticing that depending on our upbringing, we're, we either believe that that's the way to do it, or we believe that that's absolutely not the way to do it. And life just doesn't operate like that. We, we want to compartmentalize things into right or wrong, yes or no, black or white. And there's so much gray. Oh, so, yeah. Lord knows I've made mistakes as, as a parent, you know, but. Being able to face those mistakes or be open to people challenging my conceptions of what it means. Yeah. Is, you know, the goal. Yes, I totally agree. Well, tell me about the future things you have coming up. Sure. So future next Tuesday is an event called Future Ready. And it's being hosted by the Mead School District. Stacey Cornwell is their threat assessment manager. She's been with Frontier for that's how I know her. When I was talking to you last week, I'm like, oh, I didn't know where that's where Stacy went. I just know that she left Frontier and it was nice to actually hear what she was doing. So I have seen now pictures of her because I've been following some of your promoting that event. And I'm like, oh, look, there's a picture of her. She looks amazing. So yes. Yes. So I, I think she was with Frontier for close to two days. Oh my, yes. A long time. So when she said she was leaving, I'm like, you're just kidding me. That's not true. Yeah. So yeah. So I just want to say, like, shout out to Stacey Cornwell. It is an absolute honor to be coordinating with her on that. Likewise, it's an honor to be coordinating. Well, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm really grateful that to be welcomed into this community. Although I've been here for eight and a half years, it's pretty. It's a pretty great feeling when other providers are like excited that we're here and and point us in, you know, into the fold and saying, we want you to be at this event. Please collaborate with us on, on that. So next Tuesday, we're going to be, yes, we'll have a booth and yes, we'll have some, some uh, swag, I guess you call it. They have good swag. I'm just telling you, because I got a little bit of it. We were, we loved it. It was great. But the idea is to not be stuck behind the table, to be out there interfacing, communicating, having conversations with parents. Uh, to encourage and promote a more proactive dialogue. Like I said earlier, it's about early, early intervention. And it's not called suicide awareness for a reason because a lot of people don't want to talk about suicide. Yeah. Called future ready. It's the same thing though. It's planning for a positive Well, we talk about early intervention all the time when we're talking about the disability world. Early intervention, believe it or not, early intervention is included in the mental health area as well. But we've never really made that association before. You usually get involved in mental health treatment when things are in a crisis level or things are getting beyond the point where you can manage it. Yeah. And that's the first time right now is the first time I've ever heard anyone talk about early intervention and when we're talking about mental health. And so if we thought about that in the context of all valuing our mental health enough to not let it get to the point where we're going to wait until we're in crisis mode, imagine where we could be. And how much you can really change the trajectory of where things could go. So, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, it was two days ago, Wednesday, I sat in on a meeting with Associated General Contractors of all people. It's a boardroom with maybe a dozen of us sitting around a table, construction, which has one of the highest suicide rates. It's like five times. I had no idea. And mm. I mean, 
couple with substance use disorder. Early intervention is a lot of times having a conversation, whether it's uncomfortable or awkward or you're fumbling your way through it. It's about when you notice someone is acting a little funny, approaching them about it. Yeah. So they have these little cards that give out the, the pitch to map that we have at the front desk. Assist. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what it's called, but I want a copy of one of those. Is struggling or, or you're worried about them, hand this to a safe person. And that safe person just follows the directions. Call, you know, this crisis hotline. Stay with the person until help is there. And oftentimes the people were using these cards, they're using it for somebody to love. So it's like everybody has probably the five people lines that love them the most. And those that are good. Nice. Yeah. That's something is all. Yeah. And so getting that message out there, it's not necessarily getting it into institutions, agencies, providers. It's about getting it out to person. Person. Yeah. Share that message. What is re- what a resource? I that's actually that's genius. Isn't it? It's funny. It's a, such a simple thing could make such a profound impact. Great idea. Anything else you have coming up in the future that our listeners need to know about? 100%. Ready? Yeah. Buckle your seatbelt. I know. I'm, I am. It's buckled. Mm-hmm. Click. On the committee for the Spokane Alliance for Fentanyl Education. This is a really, what's the word for it? Um, leading edge, I want to say, coalition. That's bringing in a lot of different people, from a lot of different areas. So the Race Relief Foundation is a nonprofit, Marsha Malson. Her family was affected by opioid overdose. Coupled with the DBA. So I've had been emailing. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of, enforcement. Oh. I believe they want to have me in the same room as them. But... Uh, you even told us you were that important. Right. We're hearing it now. That's why you said buckle up. Whoa. Yeah. So imagine that. And you don't even have to really imagine it because it's for real. It's happening. Yes. October 29th, the Spokane Pavilion, 5,000 people. I don't know how many dozens of providers are all going to be there. If anyone's into country music, Chris Young is going to be the head. I do like country music, so I totally know this. So, yes, I, I, I'm i a fan. My job is to coordinate with the school districts. I've already gotten buy-in from a couple of them to bring their bands, orchestras, choirs, what have you. So before the headliner, there's going to be a couple of hours where you'll see music programs from the different schools get out there and do some music. And in between each one of those performances, there's going to be, you know, a public figure or, you know, somebody who's got some personal connection with opioid overdose or somebody just reading facts for two to three minutes in between those performances. And there's families, it's supposed to be a family fun fall event even though overdose is quite a serious subject. It is a serious subject, but I love that you guys are taking a family approach to destigmatizing, having conversations about it. We have to do it. You know what I mean? Why are we saving these hard conversations for private counseling sessions or, you know what I'm saying? So I I love the idea of this approach because it feels very community oriented. And you know what? We're not stigmatizing it. We're going to talk about this because we have to. So I love the platform of it. So I'm super excited about it. I'm going to put all this information in the show notes when we promote it because I think it's just, it, I, I just love the idea of it. And it really is cutting edge. It's just not something that's really, I've seen done anywhere before. And if it is existing in other parts of the world, I call us sleepy Spokane. Mm-hmm. So it takes like 10 to 20 years for anything cool to get here to us. Funny because I say you guys are about 20 years Yes, it is so true. This is my theory. (laughs) And maybe I've said this on a previous podcast. I lose track because we have 130 podcasts. But I say that we are about 20 years behind the East Coast. We are about 10 years behind California. And we are about five years behind Seattle. Just having a conversation about this the other day. I'm telling you, that is my thought. And that is just 15 years ago. Oh, 15 years ago. Okay. Okay. I say 20. Okay. Because I, East Coast, I'm telling you, if you head to the East Coast and you start looking at some of the progressive things that they're doing over there just in the autism world, it's like maybe we are 25, 30 years behind. But California is so much more progressive. And the west side of Washington is more so progressive than what Sleepy Spokane does here in Spokane. So I really applaud you guys for doing that because, again, I haven't heard of it. Maybe it's been around for 20 years and I, because I'm in Sleepy Spokane, I think it's awesome. I think we the summit was the first time we all met, and that was in February, I want to say. 
And since then, we've been filming this next event, and that's going to be quite, quite large. <laughs> and I'm hoping it continues, and it's not going to be a one and done. It's going to be an ongoing. Going, it, like the, we're in the beginning stages of what hopefully will be used as an example across the country. See, I think it's so great. It's not very often that's like things that happen over here is cutting edge. I'm going to flex a little bit, but my Isaac alert that is like currently has a house built in Washington, D.C. Obviously, that happened here in Spokane. So we're cutting edge in that regard. <laughs> That's us. But it's just nice to know that there's other cool, inventive ways of being able to spread information. So I think good for you. And because I do like country music, I'm also going to applaud your choice of musicians. So uh, I will say before we move on that it, you have to have a ticket for admission and there's no reentry. And we're going to prioritize agencies yes the chris young bandwagoners can certainly attend i feel like i i have my foot in both yeah pools of people so there we go so i feel <laughs> yes exactly i will be there with a happy face because like i get mutual benefit from it so yeah so if anybody has questions about imagine or any of the other organizations or events that are coming up is it okay to leave my oh yes we yeah please say your number your contact oh my whole email address yeah I'll, i've got a weird last name i'll just leave my phone number it's 509-496-5303 yes and his weird last name will be in the show notes so that way you'll have it it's actually not that weird is it how do you is it minch just like it looks minchow minchow okay because that's what i would have gone with minchow but then i was like but you never know have you ever met a Minchow? Never met a Minchow. That's why I was I was experimenting it a little bit before you came. I think it's Minchow. Then when you do the like pronounce it, it's like, well, it does look like Minchow, but you know. Yeah. Um. Anyway, <laughs> funny. Yeah. But my maiden name was Bame, and it's spelled B A H M E. And yeah, that's Bami. People would go with Bami. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. So my nickname growing up was H Bomb, which is like, okay, that is not, that's not what it is. You know, me and my brother were dog chow, puppy chow. Oh, sure. Well, when I got married to my kids' dad, I became Lytle, which everybody always mispronounces little. So then I was so, when I got married to my husband, John, he has a very simple last name, Goodman. Goodman. And I tease because I love Wonder Woman. So it was the closest thing I was ever going to get to Wonder Woman is good man. But then I was like, that begs the point. I really need to have my driver's license say Holly Good Woman because I am not a man. And it, it's still amazing when I go places and I tell people my last name is Goodman. They're like, what is that? Like, okay, like good woman, but like good man. And they're like, oh, oh, oh. So because people think you say good win. Anyway, so. Yeah, my husband. I did actually have outside my office that my name tag said Holly Goodwoman. And it took him weeks to actually see that I actually was made a funny. And so <laughs> anyway, but some of the kids noticed it. So I appreciate it. But anything, any final thoughts, anything that we missed that we want to make sure we we include in our podcast? Gosh, I'm sure there are. But that's the beautiful thing about podcasts. We can have you come back and do another episode. And actually, funny story is I have these epiphanies, these ideas, or I'll get a call or a unique situation that makes me think to myself, yeah, that would, be make, that would make an excellent podcast. I took the summer off and I didn't podcast at all. So we're just getting back in the swing of things because we were moving into this building and it was a bit of an undertaking. But what is interesting about this is on my list of future podcasts that I want to, to do is Suicide Threats whether it's a valid concern and you should take active steps or how do you know if it's just like, and we call it the catastrophic, I'm upset and I go to the like worst case scenario that I know is going to freak everybody out because that's, I've had several parents say, he'll say, I just want to kill myself. And that seems very benign, but what are things that we need to be looking for that tells us or signs that we have a valid concern and we need to take steps in order to protect someone in our life who might be thinking about harming themselves. One of my best friends, I named my daughter after her. Her name is Kelly. I was so shocked when I got the call that she had taken her own life because she had called, left a message on my answer machine like maybe an hour before it because I was having turning 30 and she was helping my ex-husband plan my party, left a message, hey, just checking in, want to see what I need to do for the party, la, 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 la. And then getting the call like hours later that she had taken her own life was shocking to me. And I didn't believe it. I was in total denial um, until I saw the, until I knew she left her daughter a note explaining why she did it. And it was just stunning to me because I'm not saying that there were no signs, but I didn't know what I was looking at or what, you know what I'm saying? So 
I think having you back, there's another provider that I think works really well. He's a counselor, he really connects well. He's not afraid to take the hard kids and around suicide. He's just, a, I say just a counselor, but he doesn't do the level of intensity that you guys do. His name is Zane DeWitt. And I was going to see if maybe the two of you guys or a group of you guys would mind having a podcast about that. It's it's a parent's worst nightmare, but yet I think that we need to talk about it because you don't know what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. And so if you are open to having a podcast on that topic, and among other things, like I said, there's a gajillion things I'd love to podcast when we talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to talk about it, but I guarantee we're going to have a lot of listens to this one because people, it's out there. And yeah, I'd like to uh, at least throw it out there that we invite family-centered services to be a part of that conversation. That'd be fantastic. No, I'm not. Tell me a little bit about them. Family-centered services, Adam and Jenny Finley started, I don't know, five-ish years ago, uh, started as intervention kind of team. Adam is a certified interventionist. Jenny is a licensed marriage family therapist. The two of them are kind of a powerhouse team. They give wraparound support services to families. The primary focus is substance use disorder. But they helped with a lot of different mental health and behavioral health concerns. Oh, that would be great. And, you know, shameless plug, they just hired their first employee, which is my wife. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> that is not a shameless plug. You plug that all day long. I love That's it. Kind of what they do. Yeah. I mean, not, not only suicide threat assessments, right? But I think that they would contribute. They have a lot of value to contribute. <laughs> I say the more we bring to the conversation, the better, because it's just I am not qualified to answer any of those questions. And I want to know where to refer people to. But I think it's really just good information to be informed about, because like I said, I still look back and that's one of the deepest regrets of my life. I had a friend take her life in high school. And I have to tell you, like, I felt like something was coming and I will forever be sad that I didn't do, say something or connect with her mom about it. And she took her life with a gun to the head very violent way. And it's just, it makes me so sad that I lost Dana and Kelly to suicide. You just, you are always afraid. And I think there is, we just need to talk about it. And what are we looking for? And what do we do? Like, what are the supports out there? Who are the people that can help us through those, those dark times? So my cousin, Christopher, and it's back in 2014. I mean, he was a little socially awkward. She was the oldest out of 19 cousins. And there was quite a bit of an age gap between us. So we didn't connect as strongly as I wish we could have. I didn't see any warning signs. I don't think any of the family knew that he was struggling with substance use disorder. We got the call. It was August 2014. Yeah. Put a shotgun to his head. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's amazing how disguisable mental health concerns can be. Yeah. It's amazing how disguisable mental health concerns can be and how confusing it is for us to recognize and, and know what to do about it. Fantastic. Let's do it then. Well, I appreciate you guys coming. Erica, it was great to meet you for the first time. She probably did get an earful, but See, I can, fun, I can keep it serious and on track when I need to, as I evidenced today. But I just want you guys to know I appreciate you coming in. I'm excited to have you as a community partner. I think that there's going to be lots of opportunities for us to collab and do podcasting and be referral sources. That'd be fantastic. Awesome. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism Well podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.